Welcome to Expand Your Horizons, the podcast for English language teachers and wanderlust indulgers. I'm your host, Shannon Felt, teacher trainer, resource provider, and course creator for teachers around the world. In each episode, I'll share concrete strategies to help you sharpen your skills and become the very best teacher you can be. We're talking all things ELT, the most effective classroom practices, communicative methodology, and valuable tips for planning and teaching so you can help your students see real improvement in their language abilities. We'll also hear from language teachers and ELT professionals all over the globe who are making inspiring moves in our industry. So thanks for joining me. Here's to making this big world a little smaller by connecting ESL teachers everywhere. Hello, and welcome to the first Expand Your Horizons episode of 2021. I'm Shannon, and I'm here for my first solo episode on Expand Your Horizons, so thank you very much if you're joining me. Uh, this won't be a terribly long, in-depth episode. I wanted to keep this one pretty short and simple for our first episode of the new year. I wanted to start just by giving you some updates, kind of a nice end of the year, beginning of a new year transition sort of updates. And then I would like to go over just a few things that I've learned in the last year, specifically about teaching online because I've learned quite a lot, as I would imagine that many of us have. So I'll go over six big things for me that were kind of my takeaways from my first almost full year of solely online teaching. So welcome to a new year and to a new brand new episode of the podcast. Uh, I know that 2020 was probably a very different year for many of us, to say the least. Uh, Maybe pretty intense for many of us challenging in many ways and hopefully exciting in a lot of ways for a lot of people as well. And I wanted to give you just for fun a few personal updates about myself. Uh, I don't usually get super personal on the podcast or when I talk about or do work in general, but I've, I think since sort of transitioning into this whole quarantine thing and, you know, not being in the classroom and being around teachers in person so much, Um, This TEFL Horizons community really has felt more and more like a community for me, a large community, granted, um, but still very friendly and still very connected. So I thought it would be nice to just, you know, talk a little bit about myself. Um, So first of all, like many of you, for me in 2020, I experienced a lot of uncertainty starting around March uh, about my work and what that would mean. Um, You know, everybody, I think, was trying to figure out if everything closes down, what do we do? And in our industry, if we rely on being in the classroom, how are we going to adapt and how are we going to bring that experience uh, to a virtual environment, right? So I think everybody, you know, language schools were frantically trying to adapt to figure out if they could keep their students, if they could keep their teachers on staff. And I was going through a lot of that as well with the various projects that I was um, participating in. And I'm sure, like all of you as well, that involved a roller coaster of emotions, you know, not just figuring out what we were doing for work and how we were going to earn a living, um, but also just kind of having that constant concern about our health and our safety and the health and safety of our loved ones and, you know, just being a part of this sort of unprecedented time. Uh, I'm sure you're sick of the phrase unprecedented time as I am, but it's hard to avoid, isn't it, when talking about this situation. Um, So I can definitely relate. Uh, And like many of you, I experienced my very first time fully working from home, as opposed to just partially, which is what I had been doing before. 
So I was working completely out of my apartment. Um, and of course, I vowed when that first started uh, that I would never work in sweatpants. I said, it doesn't matter if I'm not leaving the house. I'm getting dressed, you know, in nice business clothes every day. And I think that lasted maybe a week until I was definitely looking presentable from the waist up and wearing comfy pants and slippers from the waist down. Uh, So if you're there with me, I can totally understand. Uh, Second big thing that happened for me this year is that I got engaged, uh, which is great news. That was a definitely high point of 2020. Um, I think this pandemic was make or break for many relationships, and thankfully it was a make for mine. Uh, and then third, I, I had um, sad news as well, which is that unfortunately my father passed away quite recently, just at the end of, of 2020. Um, so all of that to say is I'm there with you. If this has been a strange year for you, if it's been a fun year, a hard year, I feel like I, you know, as everybody else did, got a little taste of all of that. Um, and I think the one really nice thing about it is that I think that's something we can all relate to. So we're all in this together as a community. And I think now more than ever, it's important to feel that we're connected as a community since we don't really get to see each other and be together in person as teachers the way we used to be able to in staff rooms and at conferences and, you know, just in the hallway outside of classrooms. Um, So thank you for being here. And if you've been following Horizons for a long time, I'm sure you've noticed some gaps in terms of content you know, there was a pause in this podcast, certainly. There was a pause in the newsletters. And a lot of that was just me and and Lauren as well trying to kind of deal with life and kind of regroup and figure out what was going on and how we wanted to best steer horizons from there. Uh, so thank you for staying with us along the way and still being here now. So that brings me to some professional updates. Uh, the first big one You may have noticed some of these changes already. First of all, the intro to the podcast now is just me, and this is a solo episode. And that brings me to the news that Lauren has decided to transition out of TEFL Horizons to pursue her dream of getting a master's degree and um, pursuing a career more in learning and technology, which quite a fitting time for that. So I definitely applaud her decision and her timing. Uh, This has been a very amicable transition and decision. Lauren had already started transitioning, I would say, into a smaller role with Horizons, probably over the past year or so. Um, If you know her, you know that she was doing a lot of work for different publishing companies, English language teaching publishing companies, to develop material for a couple of different course book series. And that's work that she really loved. Um, She's always been kind of the, the visual extraordinaire of the TEFL Horizons team. She's great with all things visual, design, layout, uh, materials. And so for her, I think the fun stuff was the graphic stuff with Horizons. Uh, Everything else was kind of more the stuff that I was excited about. And so as she spent more time working with the, um, the different publishing projects that she was doing, uh, she decided that that was really uh, the best fit for her and decided that getting an MA would be the next logical step on that path. Uh, so as I said, it's been a super amicable, really smooth transition. Uh, we both feel good about it. And um, it just means that Tuffle Horizons is now more of a one-woman show 
So on the podcast, you'll be stuck with me a little bit more often for more of these solo episodes. Um, But I've also got some really great interviews lined up. So I'll continue to do probably every other episode as an interview episode. And next week, I've got Jesse Ebersol coming back to do a second interview with us about how Washington English Center has adapted to online teaching. And then later in the month, I'll do another interview as well. There's also, of course, a good chance that Lauren will still be contributing to Horizons in various ways when she has time, uh, including some amazing visuals, I'm sure. And she's also assured me that she'll be popping into the podcast every now and then, either for an interview as a guest or to help me co-host an episode here and there. So you haven't seen the last of her yet, I'm sure. All right, the second big kind of professional update of 2020 is that I launched TEFL Horizons' second fully online course for English teachers. It's called Online English Teacher. If you haven't heard about it before, you can probably guess by the name that it has something to do with training teachers to become fully efficient and confident online English teachers specifically. This is something that I've wanted to do for a long time. Um, Even before this whole pandemic hit, it was something that I felt our industry needed. I think online teaching has seemed for quite a while now to be the direction that teaching has slowly been moving. And there wasn't really a lot out there that helped teachers train specifically to teach online lessons, which is a very different animal than teaching in the physical classroom. So it was definitely a need that I had identified And then, of course, COVID-19 happened, and suddenly it became an even more glaring need, became extremely relevant and a very practical idea. Um, So pretty much since then, I've been working on bringing this idea to fruition. And since I've been working as a teacher trainer for for years now, most of it as a full-time teacher trainer, so basically doing back-to-back training courses with different groups of teachers every month, you know, every day for that time, I've been getting insight into exactly what those teachers needed, what they found challenging about teaching, what they found rewarding, um, you know, what was easy for them to pick up, what was a lot more difficult for them to catch on to, which resources helped them the most, what they felt like was missing from training programs. And it's been really cool because I've been able to kind of take all of that experience and all of that knowledge you know, literally what teachers have told me that they needed and have told me what was missing out there um, and kind of put it into this program. So it's been a long time coming for me. You can probably tell I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, And I can't wait for it to start. The course starts February 1st. Uh, It's the pilot session, so the very first session. I have 24 amazing candidates enrolled who are ready to get started this coming month. And I'm really excited to work with them and see how their teaching evolves and how their teaching gets even better, and hopefully how their planning gets easier and easier with a lot of the techniques that we'll be talking about on the course. So that being said, a big part of my insight into designing Online English Teacher um, came from the fact that I myself, of course, also transitioned to being fully online in terms of my work. Um, So in the past, obviously, I was training in person, hands-on in the physical classroom, And once that wasn't possible anymore, I had to figure out pretty quickly how to make all of that happen over the internet. I had done a little bit of online teaching in the past. I'd done some private lessons, um, and I had done some training as well online, though nothing terribly hands-on. So basically, I needed to adapt really quickly. 
And in order to do that, I essentially just dove in headfirst, right? Kind of trial by fire. I still feel the best way to learn by far is just by going ahead and doing it and then figuring out how you can do it better after that. So I did two things. First of all, I started training, teacher training online almost immediately and figuring out how I needed to adapt and how I could make that work. And then secondly, I actually started teaching ESL students online myself. So I've been working on a teaching project, helping a language school to consult and kind of start up their online English program. And that has allowed me to get really hands-on experience in that I've basically been teaching now for the last mm, four or five months, four months, uh, four hours a day. So four 60-minute lessons a day, Monday through Thursday in the mornings. And I have learned so much. (laughs) So I've been able to put a lot of that trial and error into the course. And it's helped me to learn really quickly exactly what I needed myself as an online English teacher, which then pointed out to me what other teachers would need. And I could see that reflected back in the needs of my teachers and training that I was working with on teacher training courses. You know, the technology issues that they found challenging, the things that they were intimidated by, Um, challenges with sharing materials, with finding materials, with getting their students to communicate, with building rapport. I experienced a lot of that firsthand, and then I got to guide them through that experience as well. So that brings me to the meat of this episode, which is sharing with you some of those things that I've learned since March, really in the last year, about online teaching. All right, so number one, the first thing I've learned is a lot about how to adapt and use resources online. So what I found is that the lesson frameworks, the structure of an effective lesson, and the methodology at its core, those things really don't change online. We still need to follow a framework. The lesson still needs a structure, an organization, absolutely needs a main aim, But the materials themselves do change in a lot of ways. Even if you have a stack of course books and you want to use that same material, you need to figure out how you're going to show and distribute that and use it with your students. So the first thing that has been super helpful to me is uh, acquiring PDF copies or electronic copies of the course books or the material that I wanted to use. Occasionally that takes some adapting. Um, At the bare minimum, I was looking at the hard copies of course books that I had and either retyping, which was time consuming, um, or using those activities as kind of models for activities that I could then kind of adapt or duplicate on my own that I could create on my computer. But just downloading, purchasing, however you can acquire them, PDFs of course books uh, has been huge for me because from there... They're already on my computer, they're right there, they're already electronic, and I can just take screenshots of the activities that I need. The cool thing about doing that is now I don't feel like I'm wasting all this paper, I don't have to make, you know, 16 copies and then have 12 students actually show up. It's one screenshot that I put into a PowerPoint presentation for each of my activities, and there's a bunch more stuff I can do from there. So this is something that there was actually a learning curve for me at the beginning. I found it inconvenient at first because I wasn't familiar with this way of doing things. But once I got the hang of it, I'm pretty addicted to it now. And I actually don't feel like I really want to go back in a lot of ways. Um, I love the flexibility that having this electronic material gives me. 
Uh, so that's the biggest thing I would recommend for you if you're just getting started is to think about how and where you can acquire electronic material. And then from there, use screenshots of that material, put it into a PowerPoint presentation. That becomes essentially your whiteboard during the lesson. So you can share all of your visuals in that same place. You can even insert audio clips and video clips right into a slide. So you don't have to toggle back and forth between screens. Uh, or of course, Google Slides is the same thing. If you're more comfortable with that than PowerPoint. Uh, I have been slowly putting together some mini video tutorials on how to use PowerPoint. Certainly, if you attended the webinar series that just wrapped up at the end of last year, um, you may have been with me in the workshop where we talked all about hacks for PowerPoint, you know, tips and tricks to cut down your planning and make your online whiteboard look really nice and be really effective for your students. Um, but if you miss those, I'll keep working on a couple of little video tutorials here and there to show you some of the tricks that I've picked up along the way. I would say when I first started making PowerPoint presentations, I mean, I had used PowerPoint maybe three or four times in my life before the beginning of this last year. Uh, it was taking me forever. Lessons that used to take me, you know, 20 minutes to plan were taking me more than an hour, two hours. Um, and now I'm back down to that sort of my normal 20 minute mark again for an hour lesson. So, uh, or less in some cases. So there's a learning curve for sure. But once I got the hang of it, and once I figured out a lot of these tips and tricks and hacks, I like it so much more now. This leads nicely into my second point, which is that technology takes practice and patience. That means you don't want to wing it. I think we've all probably learned that the hard way at one time or another. Leaving everything up to chance is probably a recipe for disaster. So you'll, you'll want to practice with your technology and get comfortable with it however you can before you're actually teaching it in a live lesson to paying students. As I said, there's definitely a learning curve to a lot of this stuff. Certainly there was for me with PowerPoint. Um, for most people there is with Zoom as well or Skype or whatever platform you're using that it's just tough to navigate at first. You have to remember which buttons to click and when, which windows to open, what to, you know, what to do if you accidentally close a window that you needed. Kind of all the controls, right? You have to sort of get familiar with the control panels that you have in front of you and figure out how that all works. It's kind of a delicate dance between the technology and the teaching itself, still paying attention to the students and being comfortable enough with the technology yourself that if the students have issues, you're able to help them and sort of coach them through those issues and help them troubleshoot. So you'll definitely want to find a way somehow to practice with your tech before you're going to feel really good about using it with students. Even after that, even now, I still have a backup plan, always, or three or four or five backup plans, just in case something unexpected happens. Um, just the other day, for example, I was teaching a listening lesson, and for some reason, my audio did not play when I clicked play. I had prepared everything the same way I always do, I had inserted my audio clip into the slide, and it just wasn't working. Um, so I needed time to figure out what to do next. Uh, so one thing that you always want to have handy is that transcript 
of the audio itself. So I had that just in case I would end up needing to read it out loud to the students. I would say that's a last resort because ideally the students should get practice listening to another speaker, not just me all the time as their teacher. Uh, so I wanted to troubleshoot a little bit, but again, I, I needed time to do that. And I didn't want the students just awkwardly sitting there for five or 10 minutes as I tried to figure the problem out. So luckily, I had used a trick that I've been using for a while now, which is I had created a slide with all of the vocabulary words from the previous lessons in our course for the students to review. So I had all the words, just the words on a slide. I was able to pull up those words, give the students instructions to play a game, a guessing game with those words, where one student describes one of the words and the others have to guess. Uh, I was able to get them playing that, send them to breakout rooms so they could play the vocabulary game. And that gave me time to mess around with my audio and I was able to figure out what was wrong. It was a simple tech thing. I had just plugged something in incorrectly, of course. First thing in the morning, right? Not enough coffee. Um, but the point is, because I had those backup plans in place, I was able to use my first backup plan. Thankfully, it worked. That gave me time to fiddle around with my technology until I figured out what I needed to do. But even if that hadn't worked, if I couldn't figure it out, I still had a backup plan so that the lesson wouldn't have totally crashed and burned. It was still a little bit awkward, particularly for me, because I knew what was, you know, that there was a problem, <laughs> that things were not going as planned. Um, but because I had those backup plans, my students still got a really nice vocab review. And because that gave me time to fix the problem without feeling like the students were just staring at me awkwardly, they still got a decent listening lesson out of it at the end as well. So that's my advice for technology. All right, number three, the third thing I've learned is that communication and connection still matters and is still possible online, maybe even now more than ever. I think building rapport online has been a big challenge for a lot of teachers. And I think they've been hesitant to, or maybe unsure is a better way of saying it, unsure of exactly how to kind of foster rapport and connections in an online class, because it does feel kind of impersonal, especially at first. Everybody's in a different place. Um, cameras are not the same as sitting in person, right? Only one person can really um, share with the whole class at the same time. So I would say, however, uh, that even though that all feels a little bit more impersonal, what I've noticed with my students is that for them, those experiences in class, those kind of interpersonal connections in class are really valuable. For example, I have a group of upper intermediate students. There's only four students in the class. It's four women. They're all around the same age. Um, they all have their own families. And I can tell that they're genuinely excited about talking to each other in class. Right, when I send them to the breakout rooms, they always first greet each other. Hi, how are you? How was your evening? What did you do yesterday? Right, and I think it's because, you know, if we can't really go out and see our friends as much anymore, it's just not really possible these days. This is kind of their friend time. You know, these are their peers. This is the time when they get to connect with their peers and, you know, not just their kids and their families and kind of the normal day-to-day -day stuff that they do every day. This is kind of like a social hour for them as well. So in addition to actually learning, 
they're getting this time to kind of be in a sense like a, a an independent person and and have this kind of social peer connection which is really special um so i think it's essential even if they're a little clunky and even if it takes some practice for you to push yourself to use those breakout rooms at least at certain points in the lesson so that students still get that fluency practice and they still get that smaller group and pair connection that they just can't get in the main room with all of the people in the same Zoom meeting. Uh, another thing that has helped me a lot is pushing myself to be a little bit more personable and share a little bit more about myself. Um, I think as a teacher, I'm somebody who, if anything, errs on the side of being a bit too reserved and professional. And I've kind of realized that online, it seems even colder, <laughs> right? So I've had to kind of push myself to maybe tell a very quick anecdote at the beginning of class um, to be maybe a little bit more exaggerated in my smiles or my jokes to show the students that I feel sunny and relaxed, right? even if I'm frustrated with the tech, kind of presenting that face to the students um, to sort of send that atmosphere out <laughs> through the internet so the students can feel it as well. And then finally, if you can, I think it's really helpful to, to rapport building to get the students to leave their cameras on as much as possible. Uh, I have students who just flat out aren't comfortable with this or don't always have the tech at the ready to do this. And so it's not really something I think you can push. If it's not happening, it's just not happening. But if you can, I would say keep your camera on in the lesson as much as you can and encourage the students to do the same so everybody can see each other's faces and feel a little bit more connected. The fourth thing I've learned is that everything takes a little bit longer online, so you'll want to plan accordingly. This was probably the, the biggest surprise for me. I think the other things I, I could have predicted, um, but this one I, I really didn't see coming, just how much longer everything takes in an online lesson than in an in-person lesson. Uh, just that 10-second transition you know, into the breakout rooms and back if you do that three or four times, it eats up a lot of time. And that time has to come from somewhere. So I've been planning in a slightly different way than I would in an in-person class. Um, I've had to kind of get used to, I would say, having multiple options for a lot of my activities and stages. And the nice thing is, since it's electronic, you know, in the past, in an in-person class, Planning an optional activity often meant making an extra stack of copies, right? Like finding a new page in the book, making copies, and then often not using it and walking away with an extra stack of papers that I then didn't really have a use for and had to throw in the recycling bin. Um, but when it's electronic, it's really not a big deal to take an extra screenshot of one more activity and make one extra PowerPoint slide. And then when I get to that point in the lesson, I can check my timing. If I've got time, great, I can move on to that slide I've prepared. If not, I can go ahead and skip over it. So I've basically needed to make sure that I'm even more flexible with my timing than I was in the past. So making sure I have extra activities that I can easily cut out if needed, but then they're there if I need them. Not to mention those extra activities like I mentioned with the vocabulary words, just in case I have a tech issue with my initially planned activity and need to fill some time while I fix it. 
The other thing you can do is push yourself to consider some ways to eliminate the dead time in the lesson. So I think the other thing that eats up time in an online class is that it is still a bit clunky for a lot of teachers with the technology and kind of figuring out how to manage an online class in a way that works just as smoothly as managing an in-person class. So one suggestion that you might think about is for feedback stages, going over the answers to an exercise, instead of nominating student by student, like so-and-so, what's number one? So-and-so, what's number two? Uh, You might have a slide already prepared with all of the answers already filled in for an activity. And that way, if you find yourself running a bit short on time, you can just screen share that slide with all the answers after the students have finished their pair check or finished doing the activity themselves. And then obviously give the students a few minutes to look it over and ask them if they have questions about any of the answers. You can also pick and choose a few that you noticed in your monitoring seem to be difficult to give them a bit more concrete feedback or detailed feedback. Uh, So that's something that helps. If you have time, sure, you can go over the answers one by one, but that's a really great way to save some time and give you more time to get students into those breakout rooms for, say, the freer practice or the productive task at the end of your lesson. There is a setting, apologies if you know this already, but if you don't, you should. Uh, There is a setting when you set up the breakout rooms to choose how much time it gives the students before it kicks them out back to the main room. And I would strongly recommend setting that to 10 seconds maximum. Um, If you set it to 30 or 60 seconds, there's just a lot of dead time between when you click close breakout rooms and when all the students actually end up back in the main room and you can start the next part of the lesson. So the shorter the time that you give students to transition out of the breakout rooms, the better in terms of making your lesson more efficient. And then the other thing with breakout rooms I've noticed is that you do need to be a little bit choosier, I would say, in terms of when exactly in the lesson you use them. In an in-person class, I'm a pretty strong supporter of doing a pair check after every single activity. I just don't know if that makes sense anymore online. As much as I would like it to, I've come to the conclusion, I've had to admit to myself, that skipping an occasional pair check here and there is probably not a bad idea. So choose wisely. You know, if it's a smaller, more controlled exercise, maybe that's a time when the students don't need to pair check. You can save a little bit of time, go right to whole class feedback, and then you're going to save that time for a more involved, more communicative, freer practice or productive task after that. I'm not saying cut out breakout rooms entirely by any means. I think they're hugely valuable, and I think students need that student talking time in the lesson. But I do think you can be a bit choosier, as I said, about when exactly you use them. All right, thing number five is a positive for me, uh, and I really have learned that the good outweighs the bad when it comes to online teaching. Uh, I, like many other teachers, had, I think, some grumbles when I first started teaching online. Um, You know, it's hard to monitor. It felt really strange to not be able to see what my students were doing, walk around and actually look at their activities and check their progress. As I said, everything seemed to take longer. Of course, there were these tech challenges that no matter how prepared we are, they can still pop up now and then and really throw things off if we're not ready. And I was afraid that the lessons were going to 
just be a lot less personal and fun. But what I found after getting a lot more experience is that the lessons can and do still feel really fun and personal and connected. Uh, Using those tips that I mentioned before for building rapport with your students, that will really help. Letting students talk in pairs in breakout rooms, you know, leaving cameras on, sharing a bit about yourself, being relaxed, having fun, making a joke here and there. Um, You can still create that fun connection, that fun atmosphere in your classroom, even if your classroom is online. Um, Visuals and sharing materials, I have come to love virtually. So I love using PowerPoint. Um, I love using the screenshots of electronic materials. And it's actually just become a lot easier, I feel like, to share materials. Everything's already in color, right? These beautiful pictures. It's not these kind of ugly black and white copies of dubious quality. Um, It's these gorgeous, colorful screenshots that I can put right into a PowerPoint, not to mention all the other things I can do with PowerPoint. You know, I can find stock photos and add those. Uh, I can animate things. I can use different colored fonts and sizes and everything else to highlight things on my quote-unquote board. Um, So that's been really convenient. And then additionally for students, I think there are huge conveniences that don't exist for in-person classes. First of all, the fact that there's a record of everything. So if a student misses a class, they can watch the Zoom recording or I can send them the slides, right? I can send them the slides with my corrections right on them. In the past, I would often have students coming up to my whiteboard and taking a picture with their phone at the end of class. Now they don't even have to worry about that. They can take a screenshot if they want to, but I can also just email them literally everything that we did in class, which is all in the same document for them. So that's been exciting. Uh, And then finally, once you get comfortable with the tech tools, it really opens up this wealth of different stuff that you can do that's a lot harder to do in person. If a student doesn't know a word, I'm right there on Google. I can pull up an image, screen share it, right? That was a lot more complicated to do in person. Um, There are all kinds of fun electronic games. You can check out Kahoot, for instance, which again is kind of tricky to hook up in an in-person class. You need a screen, you need all this other stuff. But when you're already all on the computer and online, everything is right there at your fingertips. YouTube, you can find videos. You can find different electronic resources. So the fact that everything is sort of right there, just a keyboard click or two away, I think is really exciting, assuming that you know how to use those, assuming that you're using those things effectively and not just as kind of bells and whistles that become too much or distracting in the lesson. And then the final thing that I've learned, number six so far that I'll share with you, is that I think it sounds cliche, but practice really does make perfect when it comes to online teaching. And by perfect, of course, I I mean it's never going to be perfect. I think the beauty of teaching is that there's always room to improve and to develop, so there's never going to be an absolutely perfect lesson. But practice really does make you, as a teacher, better and better and more and more confident, of course. So the thing that I've noticed is that now more than ever, I think getting good training is invaluable because one big thing that I've noticed is that the differences in terms of quality of teaching are a lot more glaring online. It's a lot tougher. Those teachers that just kind of have a great personality, but their lessons don't really have any substance or they don't really know what they're doing. 
it's a lot easier for those teachers to kind of stumble through and rely on that charm in person, right? When they can really build that rapport and atmosphere more easily, don't have to worry about any additional things like technology. The differences become a lot more glaring when the planning part is huge. Like what goes into the back end of planning an online lesson? The PowerPoints, right? The visuals, backup plans for tech issues, multiple activities for timing flexibility. If you're not putting all of that into it, it becomes obvious pretty quickly that things aren't going well or when things aren't going well. And it's a lot harder to kind of riff when you're on Zoom. Um, You know, you can't just quickly step out of the room and make another copy or grab another book off the shelf. You kind of have to know where to look and where to go and what to do. So I would say use, if you're just starting out online or even if you're not, you know, keep seeing this as a professional development opportunity and keep thinking about how you can become an even better online teacher. That means using all of the training or all of the resources that you have available to you. Uh, There are some pretty good quality YouTube videos starting to pop up of trainers out there, teachers out there just recording their Zoom lessons and putting them online with some commentary. So I would encourage you to seek out some of those. You can also attend webinars. There are a lot of webinars popping up online as well about online teaching, including the ones that I offer through TEFL Horizons. Uh, So if you missed this past series of free webinar workshops, definitely stay tuned to join us for the next ones. Uh, My plan is to get a new batch ready for you by the end of this month, so we'll see if that happens. I have high hopes, so I think it's going to happen. And then finally, of course, even if you already have an in-person teaching certification, but it didn't have any sort of online training or component, uh, consider doing a course or thinking about how you can get some training to teach specifically online. So that would mean not just a course about teaching, but a course specifically about online teaching. The interesting thing that I noticed right away when I started training teachers online um, is because the teachers started asking, is this training only going to be valuable for online lessons? Like, let's say after the pandemic, I really want to teach in a physical classroom. Will this kind of training prepare me to do that? And the more I think about it, the more I realize... Yes, absolutely. And it might seem counterintuitive at first, but when you think about it, going from online to in-person is a lot easier than going from in-person to online, right? With online teaching, let's say you've learned the methodology, you know, you understand that you need to put students in pairs at various points in the lesson. So if you know that and you've done that online, that means that You understand the methodology behind putting the students in pairs at various points in the lesson. And you also understand how to do that with the technology that you're using. You understand how to set up breakout rooms, how to monitor the breakout rooms, how to troubleshoot the breakout rooms if the students are having issues, how to close the breakout rooms, how to switch students from one room to another, right? How to do a mingle activity using breakout rooms. So all of these things, which are a bit more complicated, you have gotten the training in those things online. And then moving from that to in-person is a super easy transition. All you have to do in person is tell the students, turn to your partner and talk, right? There's no additional skill or additional know-how that you need to go from online to in-person versus the other way around, 
if you've only gotten in-person training or you've only taught in person, you understand the methodology behind putting students in pairs, but suddenly you have no real idea of how to do that online. There's all this additional stuff that you need to know how to do to make it work. Uh, so I think if you've been thinking about getting a certification or doing some training, I've heard of teachers out there saying that they want to wait until they can do it in person. But honestly, I think I would advise to do the opposite. Better to do it now where you're getting the online teaching aspect of it that's a lot more complicated, getting training on the tech as well as the methodology, and then going from that to in-person teaching is a breeze. All right, so those are my six things to wrap up what I've learned about online teaching and training since the beginning of this whole pandemic and basically in the past year. Thank you for joining me for my first solo episode. It felt like way more teacher talk than I'm used to, so it will definitely take a bit of getting used to. Um, But I can't tell all of you to keep trying new things without doing it myself, right? So tune in next week. Uh, I have Jesse Eversall, as I mentioned, joining us for a really interesting interview about how her organization, the Washington English Center, which is a volunteer organization in Washington, D.C., Um, how she has helped her staff and the students in that program adapt their classes to be effective online. All right, so thanks for listening, everybody, and I'll see you next week. Thanks again for joining me. Feel free to leave a comment on this episode or reach out to me directly at info at tefelhorizons.com and let me know what you want to hear in upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and take a few seconds to leave a quick review. It helps so much in getting the word out there. And of course, if you know other teachers or travelers, I'd love for you to share this with them too. Stay tuned for the next episode. And until then, head to tefelhorizons.com for more resources and teaching tips. Let's keep making this big world smaller by expanding horizons. Horizons.